What's up, Llama listeners? Joe here, and I'm excited to announce our partnership with Blazing Star Barbecue. Blazing Star Barbecue is a veteran-owned business owned and operated by Mike Starr, a veteran of over 20 years of military service and a fantastic member of the Llama family. Through his amazing rubs and sauces, Mike is devoted to bringing unique flavors from his world travels to your backyard. And I got to tell you, I love me some Blazing Star Barbecue, especially the Reaper and brand new Scorpion rubs. I absolutely put them on everything, and they pretty much have rendered the rest of my spice cabinet obsolete. Check them out at BlazingStarBarbecue.com and Blazing Star Barbecue on all social media platforms and get your sauces and rubs today. We promise you won't be disappointed. What does freedom mean to you, and why does that matter? I am Jay Lee, host of the Live Free series, and to answer those questions, we are going on a journey with people from all walks of life to discover what it takes to overcome the most significant obstacle on our path, which is our own mind and mindset, and turn it into our greatest asset on our journey to freedom. So join me on the Live Free series as we Go on a mission to eradicate enslaved mindsets and to foster freedom. Live, learning, leadership, the Llama Lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership, a proud member of the Lima Charlie Network. This is Joe Bogdan, and I am absolutely honored to have in the lounge with me, Scott Drake. Scott is a sought-after consultant and trainer and the founder and executive director at Jump Coach, a social enterprise on a mission to make the best in-class leadership training available to everyone who needs it. Welcome to the lounge, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Um, it's it's actually uh, morning time Saturday here in Korea, and the weather has gotten a little bit better. It's got up to about 50 degrees. It's been frigid this winter here, and uh, yeah, Korean winters are rough, but I feel like it's getting to the point where it's going to be bearable. How are you where you're at? So, yeah, I'm in Kentucky, so I'm in the Midwest U.S., mm. so we are a four-season area, mm. and it is late winter. Uh, kind of a cold and rainy day today, but it's, uh, I think uh, after next week, it'll be 50s for the foreseeable future. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to spring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am too. Uh, unfortunately, I feel like here, uh, spring and fall are the most amazing times and they they feel like they last two days <laughs> and then it goes straight into yeah. the next one. But so Kentucky, I haven't, you know, I don't think we've had a guest on from Kentucky and man, the world's been up and down a lot, uh, depending on where you're at. What's Kentucky like right now with um, you know, everything from the pandemic to, to issues with, um, supply chains and everything is how's things over there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kentucky's always about three months behind everybody else. in most mm. things, it's, it's kind of a funny thing that this is kind of a joke in the state that we're just a, a lagger. Um, yeah. So our COVID positivity has been in the twenties, mm. uh, for a while and it's finally dipping down. I think today was the first day under 10 and over the last four weeks has really started to drop. So we're excited. Mm. We, we kind of got back to normal last summer and then normal for to travel and go out to eat and do all these kinds of things. Mm. And, and we've really not been able to do a lot of lessons to fall. So, uh, so we're excited that the positivity rates coming down and, 
And that's good. And supply chain for the most part is okay. I mean, there's just weird stuff like we can't get our oat milk or we can't get, um, you know, I, I keep nuts around the snack on and I can't get the type I normally get. So there's little stuff like that, that all of a sudden you just won't be able to get them for a couple of weeks and, and then it comes back. So it's, it's, you know, big picture, nothing to complain about, you know, we're getting by and we're doing fine. So, so nothing to complain about. That's awesome. So Scott, like, you know, I was reading um, a little bit about you and I just found it so intriguing, um, just the leadership experience that you have, um, the, the, the use of innovation and what you do. So, I, you know, whenever we have a, a first time guest in the lounge, we ask that they tell their story because we can learn a lot from the stories of others. So I thought we could start off with how did Scott Drake become the man he is today? Yeah, so I have, you know, I've always been somewhat interested in leadership, you know, even going all the way back to high school, I've been kind of always been interested in entrepreneurship. You know, going back to when I was 10 years old, I uh, lived in a small farm in between Louisville and Cincinnati. And I talked to my dad and let me put in a half an acre of potatoes and the idea that I was going to grow them and sell them. And of course, the crop failed. And that was my first adventure in entrepreneurship. But, but yeah, I was always kind of interested in leadership. Uh, in high school, I tried to run for class offices, but I didn't really know what I was doing. So I didn't you know, make any progress. So uh, but yeah, eventually I got into computer programming. Um, right when the web was coming out in the mid nineties and there was nobody else doing it. So I was real early in that, in that innovation and in that piece. And then, uh, just, uh, had been a graphic designer up to that point and got into tech and, uh, from tech started taking on some leadership roles and, uh, you know, like most leaders who come up through the ranks, I made every mistake as I was going through the <laughs> ranks. So it's, uh, so yeah, I kind of have had a, a, a bit of a varied career that mixes entrepreneurship and tech and leadership and a lot of different things. Uh, so it's, it's been a fun ride. Yeah. I mean, that sounds awesome. I, and, you know, I love what you said about how, you know, you made every mistake, you know, coming up. And I think um, a lot of times people see people in successful leadership roles and, and maybe even in consulting and coaching, and they assume that, you know, they just had it all together and just not the case. I, I tell people all the time is like to be an effective leader, you have to get the reps in as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the, the joke I like to tell is like my first leadership role the amount of money I wasted, they, they could have bought two Ferraris and mm. crashed them in the parking lot. Right. <laughs> and, and that would have been as good of, they probably would have had a better time with that half a million dollars than what I did with the staff that I wasn't able to lead. Wow. You know, so it's, it's really, you know, it, yeah, you, you look at the mistakes you can make as a leader, they, they can add up dollars really quick. So, but there are <laughs> things that we all do, right. They're, they're, mm -hmm. the, they're the same mistakes that I saw other people behind me doing, which is part of why I got into the things I'm doing now is that, there just had to be a better way to kind of grow leaders and teach leaders without having them, you know, burn through a bunch of cash for a startup who can't really afford it. So, yeah. 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 I, I think that's great what you're doing because, you know, we, we talk about often um, on the podcast that mistakes and failures in themselves don't really mean anything unless you learn from them and, and then take it even beyond that is if you can help others learn from the mistakes that you made, I think that's really important as well. And, you know, and I think it's a great segue into our first topic is, Employee engagement, you know, it's a huge topic nowadays. We talk about it pretty often. Um, it's in books, books after books are talking about how to keep your employees engaged. Uh, as an experienced leadership consultant, what are some mistakes that you've seen leaders make that destroy that employee engagement? Yeah, so I think a lot of leaders don't understand what motivates employees. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think part of it is just the basics of what, you know, why, why do people work beyond paying perks, like paying perks is the obvious thing, but those don't really drive engagement. Those don't really bring motivation. Those are maintenance factors that keep people from quitting, but they don't really bring engagement. And so, so some of the big things, you know, I'm a big fan of Daniel Pink's work. 
uh, which you know he he kind of breaks uh, employee engagement and motivation down to purpose, growth, and autonomy, and that we have to build those into uh, really everything that we do from a leadership standpoint is that we want to to make sure that the people see the purpose or the impact that they're making in their work, and we want to help them grow and be better next month and next year than they are today. And we want to, you know, give them the right levels of control of their work. And, and those are the things that bring engagement. And if you start looking at, at how a lot of leaders behave, they accidentally, they do things, they think they're being helpful, but they're often harming one of those things. And that was obviously, that was, that was the, the big case with me early on is I didn't understand, didn't understand those things. And I was just making some, some really simple mistakes. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's really starts with understanding what causes it, and then looking at everything you're doing through that lens, and that's how you start to fix some issues with engagement. Yeah, I think that that big point that you brought up about that growth too. Um, I think a lot of times people miss that in that formula of engagement, and they assume you know like they have some myopic views on things. Like, what if we train these people and do all these things, and then they just leave? You know, and it's like that is not the right view to have, and because you know, as the saying goes what if, what if you don't train them and they stay, right? Like, what, what is that? What does that do for your organization? Yeah. And then the other one that really trips up a lot of people and it tripped me up early on, like one of my big mistakes, like one of the first times I participated in hiring, um, you know, I really wanted to bring an expert in on that role and we brought an expert in on the role and he was bored out of his mind mm. and he was creating problems that we didn't need and we didn't have. Mm -hmm. And, and so it is sometimes we feel like, Oh, we've got to go bring in the expert, all these people, with all this experience, all these things. But we, we have to look at our job and say, can we bring somebody in who's maybe, you know, a level below this and let them grow into it? Hmm. Because then that's really going to give them something to work on us and a reason to be excited. And most of the times you're not taking as big of a risk as you might feel like, you know, in that case, instead of hiring an expert database administrator, if we had hired just kind of a mid-level and let them grow into that senior role, we would have been better off. And the person we hired who was miserable would have been better off because he could have got a different job someplace else where he wouldn't have been miserable. And then, and then the person we have would have been motivated. So it's, it's often really matching what do you need with who can really grow into that role and, and enjoy it. I like that a lot. Yeah, there's been opportunities where um, even in the military, sometimes we don't get the opportunity to necessarily unpick our team. But there are times where you can move people around into certain positions. And um, yeah, just like what you said, whenever I've picked somebody, whether they're a program manager, I need to bring up to help um, fix some things. I've never been like, okay, who has the most administrative skills, right? Like you look at it, like, do we have chemistry and do they have a growth mindset and are they able to, you know, learn and work hard, you know, and those things typically translate better than somebody who just seems like they look good on paper. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what are some things that like, um, you know, you, you gave a couple perspectives on some of those mistakes, but what are things that you like, maybe a couple steps that you would take initially to try to promote that engagement um, when, when you first get into an organization, maybe? So one of the first things I help, I try to help leaders understand is that to me, leadership I define as working through others to get things done, mm -hmm. right? There's things you need to get done. You can't, or you don't want to do them yourself. Mm -hmm. So you need to work through other people. You choose the lead. You're choosing to work through other people. And you have to understand that, that, you know, as a leader, uh, you want them to be engaged, right? You want them to feel good about their work. But a lot of times in small moments that matter, like leadership happens in those small moments of interaction between two or more people. And if in those moments, you know, people come to you with a question and you give and they, they walk away with clarity, but they're feeling good about themselves. Right. So you want them to, to, to through those interactions, you want them to get the things that they need, but nothing they don't need. 
And often we behave in ways that sometimes we're just trying to be helpful, but us trying to be helpful is actually stomping on their feet or getting in their way or taking away their autonomy or, or, you know, doing those things. And we end up hurting ourselves as leader and we end up hurting their engagement. So one of the very first things we do is help people really start to look at those interactions that they're having and make sure that in those interactions that people are getting what they need and nothing they don't need. And it's, and it's often a big eye opener for a lot of leaders to say, you know, I, I, my team comes with me, to me with questions and I have a quick answer and I just want to give them the answer. But if you do that, a lot of times what you're doing is you're stealing that opportunity from your team to get that satisfaction of solving that problem, right? There's a lot of satisfaction in solving problems and getting that win for yourself and doing those things. And it's often better and more motivating for them to let them spend a little bit of time and struggle with it and overcome that struggle and get to the answer themselves than for you just to give them every answer, you know, those things. So there's small things like that, 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 that leaders can start to pay attention to and that they will see their engagement go way up if they back off and if they start handling those moments that matter in a lot better and a lot in, in, in better ways. Yeah, I'd love to dive into that. Why do you think leaders do that? Because I think a couple of obvious ones might be just lack of time. You feel like you just want to get that done. But another thing that I often see is that we try to take care of our people. And, and when we think we take care of them, are we giving them the answer all the time? And I think it stifles innovation oftentimes too. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so part of it is, we, yeah, we're, we're trying to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of it is that we often think we are the leader because mm-hmm. we, we have all the answers. Like who becomes, who becomes the leader, right? It's the yeah. senior or the most best person or the best person, right? Mm-hmm. The most experienced person. So sometimes if, if we feel like if we don't have an answer, are we going to lose our status, mm-hmm. right? Is my team still going to trust me? Is my team still going to respect me if I can't answer this question when they come to me with a question? Mm-hmm. And the problem is with, with, though, with creative work and, and work in a lot of, of places, it's just so complicated. Like in my last role, I had, you know, in a technical team, you know, I had six or eight different uh, <laughs> roles that there's no way I could be an expert or even knowledgeable to some point in, in all of those roles. So it's not my job to have the answers anymore. But I feel like from a status standpoint, if I don't have the answers, that's a big one. So that's one. And then the other one is that we're rewarded our whole life for having answers, right? You take a test in school, you got to have the answers. If you don't have the answers, you're not doing well, right? You're doing poorly. So, so everything up to that point, even being the great worker who gets promoted, we're promoted because we had the answers and we feel like we still have to have them. So that's one of the biggest barriers that, that many leaders have to overcome and to realize, okay, it's not my job anymore. My job is to get that best thinking out of other people. Yeah, that's, that's, I think, yeah, what we were talking about is a lot of it's just that ego and, and us finding our purpose and, and being the person that has all the information. And, and like you said, um, the higher you go into leadership roles, typically you end up being the dumbest person in the room when it comes to whatever that specific thing is, because you're, it's such a broad perspective on things. And, and something that I just transitioned to is taken from uh, the good old Maxwell book is, you know, like leaders they don't have all the answers. They typically start having the right questions to ask, to drive some of the, uh, to get some of the best answers and solutions. Yeah. So that's the big thing we teach people. We teach people a, a, it's kind of based on creative problem solving, but it's a six step process of mm-hmm. how do you, how do you actually solve problems? How do you make decisions? Mm-hmm. And it's typically, you know, it starts with getting clear on what the goal of the problem is and then defining success criteria or defining some of the trade-offs like cost versus risk versus 
you know, time, different things that you're making trade-offs on, then brainstorm option and choosing an option. So it's not your job to actually even go through that process. It's your job to make sure your team is going through that process. So when somebody comes to you with a question, you know, or a problem, then your first question is, well, where are you in the process? Like, are you still trying to figure out the problem? Are you trying to figure out your trade-offs? Are you trying to brainstorm options? Are you trying to figure out which options to choose? Where are you in this process of doing this work? And then let me step in and help remove that obstacle. And then I'm going to give it back to you so that you can get the win on this, right? I don't, I don't want to take it away from you. I want you to get this win on it. And, and so it's really, yeah, it's about, it's about you having the skills as a leader to work through others and to help them get unstuck or solve these problems or do these things with their own brains, not with yours. Yeah, I, I think that, man, that's a great process to go through and to, to walk people through. Because I think that the one thing that I found in young leaders, and just like what you had talked about, going through a lot of mistakes when, you know, you're, you're becoming a leader, I, same thing here. And a lot of it is just a lack of uh, just decision making capabilities, right? You start saying things like, why did you make that decision? And it's a, it's a dangerous question to ask, because you start asking all these whys, they start being judged, but, you know, but you're like, what was going through your mind when that was the decision you made to get to where you're at right now? And yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. I think that going through that lesson and then also coupling that with some experience along the way is mm -hmm. going to make you way, way more effective as a leader. Yeah. So that's actually, that's one of the big things that we teach. That's one of the first things that we literally in our first sessions, those are some of the things we get people to start paying attention to because as a human being, you're wired to see every problem. Like mm -hmm. somebody presents an idea to you or somebody should, you know, shares, Hey, I think we should do a, B and C. Then your first thing is to go, why, why that doesn't, that makes no sense to me. So instead of, instead of, instead of saying the problems that you see, which destroys motivation, right. That just completely blows somebody up. Right then you have to get curious. And that's when you have to step back and go, okay, well, what problems does this solve? Or what is your success criteria? Or, you know, what trade-offs are you making? Or what other ideas did you, you know, how did you arrive that this is the right approach? And you have to do it with true curiosity. Assume that they're right. Assume you're stupid, right? Not the other way around. And, and but we typically don't come to that conversation with that. We typically come to that conversation going, I'm the smart one. And we have to flip that and we have to get, and we have to get comfortable with that. And that's a purely an emotional intelligence thing, but it's one of the earliest things leaders have to get, to get comfortable with. And once they do though, again, leaders can become, people can become effective leaders very quickly if they can kind of make those mental shifts, uh, you know, just the faster they can make those mental shifts, it's more about those than it is skills uh, to, to really help them become effective leaders quickly. Yeah. I think that's awesome. You, you brought up a couple of things there. And I think um, that, yeah, I would, the curiosity, authentic curiosity versus, because it feels like there's a thin veil between that and coming off as very judgmental. <laughs> but if, if you can really hone that curiosity, like ask from that perspective, um, not only will you be able to drive that engagement, like you're saying, but also you can learn a lot yourself from these, mm -hmm. from these engagements. Yeah. yeah. I had, you know, again, on my last team, there's so much stuff happening in the world right now that's new with data and machine learning and artificial intelligence. And I don't care what industry you're in. I think like data literacy is something that every, if you're working in a professional or knowledge working environment, uh, you know, just like the managers of old had to be able to read financial statements, you know, the managers of, of today and the future are really going to have to be comfortable with data, data driven decision making and really understanding, you know, the output that's coming from data sciences teams and some of those things. And if you're not curious Right. Then, then, then you're just, you're going to, going to get stuck. So you've got to, you know, really remain, uh, you know, the, 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 keep that curiosity going and then just accept that there's so much 
uh, knowledge and so many different expertise that you just can't like you can't have you can't do it all and, and you don't want to right let other you know one of my big things is let other people be the hero of the story right let your team be the hero of the story you don't have to be the hero all the time right celebrate when other people are the heroes of the story and and it's and it's going to help you both be a better leader and it's going to help them feel like the heroes and be the heroes that they actually are yeah yeah that's amazing yeah i, I love i love that perspective and yeah i think that um just gaining that understanding and having some of that humility coupled with that curiosity to just know that you know i, I say it often that you know the the wiser i become the broader my plane of my own ignorance i understand you know i realize i'm like holy crap i don't really know a lot of stuff and and that's an important step for any leader to be able to step into um so that they can start like not just engaging but starting to leverage some of the the skills mm -hmm. that your teammates start bringing to the table yeah, I, you know, my last team, I had a guy going through a data science program, master's program at Georgia Tech, mm -hmm. right? Man, talk about a smart guy who who was getting into some stuff that I knew we needed, but I didn't have the time or the the really desire even to go do it myself, right? But imagine what you can tap when you can when you can really get to the thinking of other people and let other people, you know, uh, really appreciate what they're bringing to the table. You, there's just so much more that you can accomplish as a leader. Uh, when, when you when you do that, when you set your own ego aside and really work through others, learn to work through others. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I've, I've discovered, too, because I, I just seen so many people that are just uninspired leaders coming through, coming into work and they just don't have that inspiration and they end up becoming that person that you just hate being around. And something I've discovered is when you have that curiosity, authentic curiosity and some of that humility you start getting inspired by some of the amazing things your people do. You know, you're like, wow, like I was not able to do that when I was maybe in your position or I will never be able to do what you just did or bring to the table what you bring. And it just kind of inspires me to kind of live just a healthier life in general. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I agree 100%. And you brought up one point and I, I will we'll, I'll touch on it briefly. It's just that that we do get those people in the leadership who who probably took the role because they wanted more money or they wanted more status or in the military. I know it's like, that's really the only way to go up is status mm -hmm. and to take on more responsibility. And that's where I think all the other thing I think leaders need to do is find other ways to elevate people's status and to elevate people's, you know, to help them move up and grow and do different things without necessarily having to move them into leadership. Because there's just yeah. some people who just aren't wired for it. There's just some people who, who don't have that curiosity and don't care, right? They're, mm -hmm. Or their curiosity is about their kids or is about, uh, you know, getting better in bowling or doing something different, right? It's just not in their profession. Their profession for them is something a little bit different than it is for some of us. So I think it's really, the other thing we can do as leaders is try to help, you know, people who may not be as, as wired to want to do some of the things that make great leaders great, find them other ways to continue to contribute and continue to grow, but don't don't put them in charge of your teams yeah. where they're gonna, you know, where they're gonna hamper and, and hold some stuff back. Yeah, I, you know, and unfortunately, just from a military perspective, from an Air Force perspective is what I could share the most about is that sometimes leaders, they start grading themselves on how many people they get promoted into positions. And I've been talking about this a lot, like it's hard to grade what didn't happen, but sometimes it's important well, a lot of times it's important to make sure that the wrong people don't get promoted, right? Like, or, and that they, they continue to get groomed until they're ready, or if they ever become ready. And we don't, we don't quite look at it that way. Like, hey, how many people did you not get promoted that shouldn't have, you should get some, you know, some kudos for that. <laughs> but the other thing that, um, that somebody asked me not too long ago, was like, what, what, if you could just blow up the system and had a magic wand, what would you do? And, and you know, something I said was, I would like decouple value with promotion. 
Like maybe if I could reward you because you're a technical expert, but you're not showing that leadership capability, if I could still give you more money, maybe a raise, a significant raise versus giving you a whole nother rank where now you're responsible for more. Because I think what happens is when we do it this way, where you basically have to get promoted to get a significant raise, the Peter principle starts rising up left and right. You're like, okay, we just promoted you to a level of incompetence now, and you're going to affect so many people. So those are things that I would really look into. So I love how you brought up that, you know, we got to find other ways to engage people and even reward them. That is, doesn't mean just putting them into a leadership position and promote them. Yeah. And that's, again, it's something we've had to deal with in tech because we, you know, we have a lot of people, I'm an introvert, right? I've, some of the struggles I had in leadership and some of the struggles I have today in leadership are because, you know, people wear me out yeah. and, and when your job is, is, is I like, you know, I like rational things. I like math. I like computers. People are not rational, which is part of the fun part about it, right? It's part of what's challenging and unique, but yeah, you look in the tech world and there's a lot of people who, who don't want to go into leadership. They don't want to do the work that I've done in the last, you know, 15 years to really develop the, the, the skills to be able to kind of deal with, with some of the things I have to deal with as an introvert. So it's, it's uh, so yeah, we've had to find ways to uh, reward and to, and to, and to build alternative career tracks that aren't about, you know, taking on people management and even some just basic management, management, management stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, um old boss that used to joke. I was like, man, this leadership thing would be so much easier if it wasn't for the damn people. You know, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you, know um, you kind of talked a little bit about just, I mean, we're kind of going down that track of this competency and, and, you know, where, where it lies, whether it's in the managerial track or if it's in the leadership, overall leadership track or technical track. Um, you, you talk about, losing the competency war. What do you mean by that? So it goes back a little bit that again, we're, we're rewarded our whole lives for having all the answers mm -hmm. and, or, you know, we think to earn the trust of our team, mm -hmm. we have to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And what I see often is like a new manager will walk into a, to a job or walk into a new team. And they say, I've got to earn the trust of my team, right? I, you know, job one for me is I've got to get their trust. Mm -hmm. And the, they're, most direct way to do that they feel like in their own head is to say, all right, I need to go solve a problem. So let me show them I can do their job. Let me show them I'm an expert at what they do. Let me show them I'm a great computer programmer. It was me back in the day, right? So I'm going to use my competence as a means to gain the trust of my team. But if you look at it from the team's perspective, what is the team doing? What is the team getting, right? The team is getting a new boss, right? They're scared. They're wondering if this new boss is going to like them. They're wondering if this new boss is going to think they're stupid. They're wondering if the new boss is going to replace them with the, the, the boss's people or whatever, right? So the team is trying to earn the boss's trust. So the boss and the team are both trying to earn trust. And the team's tool to do that mostly is competence. They're trying to say, hey, look, look what I can do. Look, how, look at the expert computer programmer I am. And if the boss and the team are both trying to earn each other's trust through competence, then what I've seen is, and what I dub it as a competency war, where the boss won't get out of the way. So it's like, so from a boss's standpoint, from a leader's standpoint, is to recognize that you are in trust in other ways, right? You are in trust by caring about your team, by creating clarity and by doing some other things and to let your team be the, let, let your, just, just lose it, right? Just don't even fight the war. Don't walk in trying to prove or trying to gain trust through your own competence. Let them have that. Let them have that tool. You have other tools that you can use. So that's typically what I'm referring to when, that, when I talk about the competence you are. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I think I could just visualize exactly what you described so many times throughout my career where I've seen it, um, where a leader does that, or I myself have done that, you know, and I think that that's, that's a, just a nugget right there where I think a lot of leaders can walk into an environment and change the entire paradigm or the trajectory of where they're going, just lose the competency war. That's fantastic. Let, let them, again, you're, right. to me, every, every time you solve a problem instead of letting your team do it, you're mm -hmm. stealing from them, right? You're stealing mm -hmm. a source of satisfaction. And you want a satisfied team, let them get those wins. Let them have those wins. And it's, it's really, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the hardest things. And I, and I talk about it a lot because it is a little bit uh, left, left. It's a little bit out in left field. It sounds like on the surface, but then once people stop and think about it, they go, yeah, you know, cause what do you want in a boss? You want a boss who has all the answers and tells you what to do and gives you no room to contribute, or do you want to contribute? And everybody wants to contribute. They don't want that know-it-all boss. Nobody, nobody wants to work for a know-it-all. So quit trying to be a know-it-all. Yeah, I remember um, early on in my career, I, I've, I've had some great leaders, but I remember early on in my career, that one of the first ones that I remember, um, he was a cross trainee. So in the in military, sometimes you can change your, your basic job from one to another and still serve. And he went from an administrative role to a technical role, which I do is in the engineering community. And, and he came over at a pretty high rank. And we were young airmen at the time. And and I remember he was one of the best leaders because he never tried to pretend like he knew everything because he just didn't. So he just took yeah. care of us. You know, he made sure. And then he would be with awesome humility and curiosity, like, hey, how do you do this? You know, so we were teaching him stuff. But at the same time, we always felt trust that he was going to take care of us from that leadership role. And, and I still share that story nowadays that that was probably the first like, great example of leadership I saw. Yeah. And it's, total, it's totally the opposite of what most people think when they come into the role. Mm -hmm. Complete yeah. opposite. But it's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's that ego, right? Because you, you want to try to prove yourself, like you said. And, and, and then, like you said, that the common way to try to prove themselves in any type of, especially a technical field, is trying to prove that you're competent in, in that technical competency. But that leadership competency, that professional competency, that's what we probably need to focus a lot more on. Yeah. So there's, there's, the, um, there's a, a study that came out in Harvard Business Review about back to maybe 2005 that's called the seven seven transformations of leadership i think is what it is we can put it in the show notes yeah. but it it talks about what it talks about basically is that um people who struggle in the leadership role still have the mindset of an expert right they're still trying to prove their their worth they're still trying they're out to prove things and um they're trying to stand out from the crowd by using their own expertise and the better leaders, they, they, their mindset, they shift their mindset. It's, it's an evolution, right? We, there's seven or eight different mindsets that people can kind of go through over the course of their career. And some people stop at that expert, which is great for a role player. It's great for an individual, individual contributor. But when you shift into a leadership role, you've really got to level up that mindset. And, and, and that's one of the big pieces. And that's a lot of our training. Our initial training is really based on how do you shortcut that, that shift? Because that's the most important Thing. So there's actually some science behind it. If anybody wants to totally nerd, nerd out on it, uh, we can put an, a link to that article in uh, in the show notes if we want yeah, to. Yeah, we absolutely will. And I, I, yeah, I think that's a great perspective. And that's what I kind of talk about, not as eloquently as that. But but uh, when for us in the military, a lot of times we go from, we actually have a rank in the Air Force called technical sergeant, where you're technically competent. That's what your job is. You're supposed to be the technical expert. But the next rank after that is master sergeant. 
And some people assume master sergeant means now you have to be a master at that technical competency. But a lot of time at that point, you're transitioning to that leadership of teams role as a senior non-commissioned officer. And although we do our best to train, you know, um, that what through academia and everything else, what happened, there's not a clear break there, you know, there's not a, a clear transition. It's kind of like, sometimes you're still going to need to be technical competent, you know, like, and sometimes you're going to be in more leadership role and it just gets really foggy. And that's where I see a lot of that stuff go wrong. Like you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, I, I think that, you know, that that's some great stuff there with the engagement. We'll definitely get the, um, that, that article into the show notes, but something I want to transition to is something that's also very important as a leader and that we need is to get that effective feedback. And I've discovered that it can be difficult to get that candid, effective and actionable feedback when you're in a leadership role. And I remember when I was promoted to my current rank and attended an orientation course, um, an experienced chief master sergeant relayed that, you know, you, you aren't suddenly more good looking now. And you're not funnier and you're not suddenly smarter, you know, and he was alluding to the fact that we shouldn't get full of ourselves and that sometimes, you know, people are just going to entertain our egos or react in certain ways that they perceive that, you know, we want them to. Uh, but, you know, it's important for us to know, are we doing well? So uh, how do we know? What can leaders observe and monitor that lets them know they are doing a great job? Yeah, so that's it's, it's a great question. And I, and I kind of went down a rabbit hole to answer mm -hmm. this one because because I, I, I kind of. I started asking a similar question six or eight years ago to every leader I, I met, I would go, how do you know you're doing a good job? Mm -hmm. Right. How do you know day to day, week to week, month, to month, how do you know you're doing a good job? And, and they either didn't have an answer, which is crazy. Like that'd be going to a basketball coach and say, how do you know you're, you're doing a good job? And they don't know that they're supposed to win games or play defense or doing these kinds of things. So it was really kind of shocking to me how few people had a thoughtful answer or when they did, they were just all over the board. And I was going to, trainers and coaches and, you know, leadership experts, and they still were kind of just scratching their head. So, so yeah, I went down a big rabbit hole research and uh, dug into a bunch of MBA programs. What are the learning objectives? What are they actually trying to teach you? What are they trying to get you to be better at? I dug into a few hundred books, uh, just some of the more popular leadership books to say, what are they actually trying to, to teach you again? What are the learning objectives of these books? And it came down to, to, to leaders have four goals. Uh, to get results, which is the obvious one, right? My team exists to get something done. Is it getting it done? All right. So that's, that's one. The second one is uh, with enthusiasm or with, with an engaged team, right? Uh, the third one was enthusiastic customers. And then the fourth one is, am I creating more leaders? Am I replacing myself? So virtually all of these programs or all of these pieces of these programs are trying to get you better at one of those four things. So what's really important is for a leader to say, number one, what is my balance of these four things? Right. Different leaders are going to balance these in different ways. There's times where results are everything. And if my team gets burned out, they get burned out. Right. And, and I'm going to have to deal with the repercussions of that. And then there's times where I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice results to take care of this customer to make sure that they're more enthusiastic. Or I'm going to sacrifice results to make sure my team is taken care of. So different organizations, different teams and different leaders at the same at, at times are going to have to balance those four things differently. So the important thing is just to be aware of be aware of what they are to understand what your desired level of balance is. And then to say, how do I monitor these? How do I actually measure these? You know, can we put, what KPIs should I be paying attention to for results? Uh, is it appropriate for the type of work we have? Uh, you know, how can I regularly survey my, my team and get feedback from my team? You know, how can I use my one-on-ones to get better feedback, right? So there's different things you can do within each of these, these four pieces, but it's really understanding that you have these four pieces that you have to monitor. Yeah. 
no, that, that's fantastic. I think that, um, you know, we talk about those, some of these concepts having, you know, the key performance indicators in these concepts can be very hard to discern. And I think that's where people quit. They're just like, well, I, you know, they, they get to that surface layer. It's like, well, how do you measure that? And then just kind of move on to something else because it's really difficult to do so. So, um, but I think that's, those are great perspectives. And I think a lot of times what, what you just described, I see an imbalance in those things that causes issues. Like you're not, you're not worried about engaging your team, having an engaged team, or, and you're just worried about results, but you're doing that for such a long time. I mean, we could do that search operations for a little while, but if that's all you're focused on it, you will burn them out and they won't want to be there with you and your customers will suffer and you definitely won't be creating good leaders. You're probably creating people that are doing the same thing you're doing, which is, which is just terrible. So I, I, that's what I've seen. Or they're so focused on hugging everybody and creating these great leaders. And, you know, they're not really worried about, you know, the results and why would you be there if, if you didn't have to get yeah. results, right? Yeah. The, and, and part of the challenge, and this is one of the bigger things that I see leaders struggle with is that and especially anybody with an MBA, because I feel like they just, they, they hammer it in the MBA school that it's all about efficiency and it's all about results. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's about, you know, the efficient, you know, utilization of resources, the efficient utilization of capital, maximizing my return on capital, all these kinds of things. And that's all great for, uh, for routine work that you can build systems and processes around and that the goal efficiency is the right goal. And those are called mechanistic systems. But the problem is that so much of work anymore of that mechanistic, that routine work is done by computers and machines, that the work of people is creative and you can't manage creative work for efficiency, right? You can't say, Scott, be creative between the hours of eight and five, and you only have 40 hours to be creative on this pro you know, I mean, it just, it doesn't work. Efficiency and KPIs, efficiency-based KPIs don't work for organic creative work. So that's the, the other area that I really see when I see people struggling for KPIs is most of the time they're trying to either apply KPIs for organic work to a mechanistic system, or they're trying to apply the, the mechanistic KPIs to a creative system. And, and, it's, and that's where the struggle comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. I, you just took me back to um, my undergrad when I was going to some sociology classes. And I remember reading a book called like the McDonaldization of Society. And it was talking about trying to put rational, you know, things in an irrational world and how that actually lessens your efficiency because it just doesn't work that way. And, and, you know, that we should be striving for effectiveness versus efficiency. And I think, I think that's a great, you know, just thought to get around and, and leaders, you know, have to do that deep work to figure out, you know, where they're at with that and, and which ones to apply when. And I think that's a key, uh, just a key indicator that you have that leadership potential is being able to adapt to different situations and discern. Yeah, it's funny. I actually saw that, that concept, like that was something I felt, but couldn't define. Mm -hmm. And I saw that actually in an undergraduate business textbook. And that's the only place I've ever seen it. And if you go and you search the internet for organic versus mechanistic work, I can't find anything about it. So it's like, this is something that they introduce early in business school. And then they just forget about it. <laughs> but, but to me, it's, it's like one of the most important things for, for leaders to really understand, because, I, you know, even just, just tonight, I was talking to a friend and she's just absolutely about to pull her hair out that, that they're making her start to track some stuff at work and do some stuff at work. That's all these it's in it. And I, I'm not going to, I understand this because I just can see it, but it's like all this mechanistic stuff they're trying to put on her and her work is creative. And it's, it's impossible for her to give them the data that they want because her work just doesn't produce that kind of data. 
So it's, 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 it, but it's funny. Yeah. It's like, this is, this is a concept that I learned in an early low level business class that then just completely disappeared throughout everything else I studied. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, we, we have, when I was working, um, I was doing some career broadening in a social service center and that's where I came from an engineering background to social services and exactly what you're saying. I was looking for ways to apply what I knew to, you know, to, to metrics and to, you know, show that we're successful and things that, and then I look back that are just don't have that same, um, you know, that same, just capabilities, right? You're looking at it, you're like, that doesn't make sense. And then I start shooting holes in it. And then, like you said, you start getting down this, you're pulling your hair out and you're like, man, that doesn't make any sense. Now I, I don't think that's a good metric and that's not a good metric. And like, I don't even know if I'm succeeding anymore. And you just, yeah, start, start losing it a little bit. So I, I've experienced that too, as I can see it. And I think that the way you just verbalized that was, uh, can help any leader kind of identify that that's where you're at right now, at least. The awareness is the key part. Yeah. And that's where you have to start looking at outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. You have to start looking at, Hey, you know, we, we set out this quarter to solve these six problems, mm -hmm. right? And we made significant progress on four of them. Right. But we can't necessarily say, you know, that this cost us X or earned us Y or, you know, took X number of hours, right. It's, it's really hard, but, but you, so you kind of have to start looking at things. A lot of what's, I don't know how much agile methodology is getting out of the tech world. It's getting around, but there's some concepts within tech that I'm starting to see getting pushed out into other areas because they're more around how do you manage organic work? How do you manage creative work or, or work that's hard to predict? And, um, you know, so, so I think more and more leaders, again, are going to have to get more comfortable with those types of tools because so much of the routine mechanistic work is being done, you know, by, by machines. So it's, it's, it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I was, I was reading some stuff on just lag versus lead measures. And a lot of the stuff that, um, that they were talking about was that a lot of times those lead measures are going to be, they're not going to be the things that you think, like, you don't have to just set some metric. It could be how many times have you done this? And it might lead to you reaching your goal and that lag measure. And I, and I, approached that with my team and we actually did some strategic planning for the next year and i wouldn't say everybody executed it perfectly but i can say that honestly after three and six months of doing this we're in a better place than we were six months ago you know and i think yeah. that that's really important yeah definitely yeah so man this you, you really touched on quite a few amazing things and i think that you know the people that are listening to this are, I, I imagine that they're gaining a lot of insight and that they're going to want to know more and so I was wondering, Scott, how do you, you know, please share with us, how do people connect with you and find out more about your work? Yeah, so the best thing to do is go to jumpcoach.com. Uh, we actually have a, a, an assessment there that's 100% free, mm. that it takes about 10 minutes to go through it. And basically what it will do is it will, um, it will explain there's leadership again as four goals and nine jobs. Right. And we went through the four goals, but there's nine jobs. Where do you focus your energy day to day is the second question around that. Mm -hmm. And what that assessment will do is it will answer that question for you and it will show you where your gaps are. So that's where a lot of leaders struggle is they say, hey, where are my gaps? Where am I? Where am I doing well? What am I not even aware of? Right. So that 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 tool. So, yeah, if you want to learn more about what we're doing or, or get involved in any of our stuff, the best thing you do is go to jumpcoach.com. And, uh, and take that assessment and that will get you started. And then we do a lot of just training and, and we run an accelerator program and different stuff to get people, to get people leading faster. So that's, that's really our goal. So, so jumpcoach.com is the best place to go. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, I know I gained a lot and I'm going to be thinking about this. This is one of those conversations I'll be thinking about a little bit later today after, you know, I'm going for a run or something and trying to figure out how to implement some of this and teach some of the principles you brought up. So I'm super, super grateful that you came on. And, and um, before I let you go, though, I, I need to hit you with what we call the leadership rapid fire, just four questions, however you want to interpret it, however you want to answer it. Sound good? Sounds good. Let's go. All right. First question is what is your favorite leadership trait and why? So I think, I think the number one trait that every leader has to have, and what do I look for in anybody who I would consider bringing into leadership is compassion, mm -hmm. right? I think you have to care about other people. You have to care about the people that would be on your team. You have to care about your customers. And to me, it's more important even than empathy, because I think empathy is something that people have, or they don't, to a certain extent, you can become a little more empathetic, but I don't have to, to understand your world or see the world through your eyes to care, right? So, so for me, the number one trait is just you got to care about people and you got to want what's best for other people. And, and so that's the number one trait that I look for in leaders. And the one, the one I try to, to, to nurture in myself as much as possible. All right. Question number two, what is your favorite quote? I'll probably butcher it. Uh, Rosalind Carter um, said... Um, a good a leader a leader takes people where they want to go a great leader takes people where they don't necessarily know they want to go but they ought to be right yeah. so it's 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 really about about taking people beyond their comfort zone out to where they 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 need to go and i think that's a really good representation of what a leader does yeah all right question number 3 uh what is a book that you would recommend to an aspiring leader so I think the book that had the most impact, we talked about Daniel Pink's book earlier, and I'll mm -hmm. give you a different one. The one that probably had the most impact for me is Liz Wiseman's book, Multipliers, mm -hmm. How the Best Leaders Make Other People Smarter. And it, it does a great job of illustrating um, how the same person working for two different leaders can either be a superstar A player or can be a total failure, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. it's truly how the leader interacts with their team drives the success of so much stuff. So Liz Wiseman's book, that book uh, is, is, I think if I can get people to read it, it's one of the, it's one of the books, especially in tech where we have this expert mindset. So Ed, to, to get people to recognize that, that, um, you know, it's more to it than just your expertise. that's going to make you a great leader. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, I definitely got to add that to my list. I haven't um, heard of that book yet. So great. All right, final question. So at the Llama Lounge, we're all about life, learning, and leadership. So how does Scott Drake find his harmony between life, learning, and leadership? So I think, I think, you know, I go back about 15 years, 17 years. I was running a company. I was stressed out. I was struggling. Um, and what? And I think where I found my balance was I started walking. Right. I just started going out. So I started. You know, there was a there was a market about. 15 minutes from my office at that point in time. So I would just mark, walk to the market, grab lunch, walk home, right? But just not walk back to the house. So just that act of getting out, getting in nature, getting away from my desk, getting away from stuff and just walking uh, really improved everything for me. And, and, it, and it really helped me find some balance. So now I, I try to walk at least, you know, 60 minutes a day if I can yeah. uh, every day, even on, you know, cold rainy days like today. Uh, so to me, it's, it's really th that activity has, has been uh, one of the most important things for me. And I'm, I'm very grateful that I just 
got so frustrated one day that I just got up and just walked. Right. And that, but that changed everything. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's great. Yeah. Walking. I think people just underestimate the, just the power of walking and movement. You know, I, I really do believe there's so much value there. And I try to walk quite a bit too. I, I do like to go run a lot, but walking is just when I just don't have the opportunity. It's, it's, it's just like just as good in a lot of ways. So it, it does a lot. It's a, that's yeah. a lot of good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on Scott. I mean, you're just a wealth of knowledge and I just, I'd love to have you on again and talk about some more, just whether it's engagement um, with employees or just digging deeper into some of these topics we talked about. Um, would love to have you on again. Maybe even go into some agile concepts. That'd be great. Yeah, Joe, anytime. I, I love talking about this stuff. This is this is me being a nerd and it makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, me too. All right. Thank you so much. And shout out to our sponsor, Blazing Star Barbecue, Mike Stars, bringing the flavors from his world travels to your backyard. Check out his amazing rubs and sauces at blazingstarbarbecue.com. And we are excited to announce our new partnership starting next week with Battleground Fitness. More to come. And as always, be safe, stay healthy, keep growing. Llamas out. Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.